welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss American Airlines and United Airlines second quarter earnings. Enjoy. Hey, Jay. Happy earnings to you and yours. How's your week going? Happy earnings to you and yours as well, Ned. How is your summer going? Summer is good. I've been off a couple days this week, and I'm doing a road trip through New England. Sorry, airline uh, peeps. Uh, Not easy to take two kids, a dog, and several bicycles up to New England from Washington without a car. So road trip it is. So just, uh, yeah, covering airline earnings uh, from from a nice cabin in New Hampshire. Sounds fun. Yeah. So first up, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, American Airlines and United Airlines both have reported. Jay, tell us a little bit about American. Sure. We'll, we'll start with the numbers and I'll give you. So we now have, uh, yeah, the, the big three have reported. And uh, so we can compare the three of them, American, Delta and United. Uh, so Delta, if you recall, went a week earlier. We're, we're talking, by the way, on Thursday, July 20th and late morning. Uh, Delta, 17% operating margin. Excellent. United, basically exactly the same thing, few tenths of a point lower, but 17% Delta and United. So both had fantastic second quarters. American, pretty much right there, 15%. So a little bit worse, wow. but yeah, a little bit worse. But I wouldn't put too much, uh, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't ring any alarm bells there because they do have more domestic exposure. And I think international, it's becoming pretty clear is what's really kind of driving the train right now. That's just better. This is some yeah. of these routes to Europe. And and I think I mean, that's Asia, just, yeah, better. That's, than the, that's what I got out of United and, and Delta, like international is just booming. And uh, domestic is is not necessarily slowing down, but it's just sort of plateaued. Yep. Yep. That's the so that's the that's still a, a question that needs a little more. Uh, you know, we, we just we, we need to get more information on how the domestic market is doing. I think all three, United Delta and sorry, American, yes, American Delta and United, they pretty much all said that domestic is just fine. Now, American did set off some alarm bells when they this morning they issued their third quarter uh, guidance and they said that their operating margin was just going to be between eight and 10 percent. Just a little bit unusual. Oh, wow. I mean, if you're doing yeah, yeah, if you're doing 15% in Q2, you should do better at least or at least similar in Q3. Fuel prices are still low, uh, so a little bit uh, worries there. Their uh, domestic um, unit revenue, or sorry, their total unit revenue guidance was also somewhat kind of raised some eyebrows. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think they said it was going to be down four or five percent, something like that, maybe even a size six percent. Um, now, I do want to, I think that that worried Wall Street some, I, I do want to caution, though, that, and, and American alluded to this as well, they are operating much better this year than they were last year. And so they're producing more ASMs. And that kind of has the perverse, I mean, it's a good thing on balance, but it is just due to the math that is going to uh, if you're producing more AMs, that could, in effect, hurt your rosin numbers, but not something that you know is considered a bad thing. So I still, I'm still not ready to. I mean, clearly, international is doing better than domestic. We know that's stronger, 
but I'm not ready to write off domestic or say anything bad about it just yet. My sense is that it's still pretty good. You know, maybe things have come. It was very good last summer too, remember? So maybe right. it's come off a little bit, but I think I think it's still very good. We'll, we'll, go, we'll know a lot more on this question when Southwest reports and JetBlue, Alaska, you know, these predominantly domestic carriers. Absolutely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to Southwest. They are by far the domestic uh, domestic leader there. Um, yep. You know, JetBlue with their exposure to the Caribbean, I think of them less, but, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, United right. basically gave a similar story to American on domestic. Domestic remains robust. Uh, total unit revenues on the domestic entity was down a little in the quarter, whereas total unit revenues on the international entity was way up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it, you can't write domestic off yet. I mean, United executives spoke very clearly about uh, uh, domestic or, you know, the in demand environment still being um, very, very strong. Uh, globally, they're speaking globally, so it's uh, it's interesting. Did American have any comments on on anything on like you know delivery delays or anything specific? Anything unique jump out from from American Jay? Yeah, and I listened to the American call. I have I've yet to again. They were talking Thursday. I've yet yet to listen to the United call. Just for the record, and I believe you're opposite, right, Ned? You've uh, listened to. United that's right. That's American. right. I've got insights from United, and you've got insights from American. So yeah. a perfect combination here. We've got uh, we we've got everyone covered between the two of us. But yeah, American to answer your question. Yeah, American um did have some interesting things to say about uh, not so much. I think I think you know they just made a brief comment that uh, the delivery situation with the aircraft has gotten a little bit better, but it's still an issue. Um, they talked. Uh, one topic that came up a lot during the call was the NEA, the Northeast Alliance. That yeah, that's just, a good one. I was just going to ask you, what what did they say? Anything? Yeah, just to remind uh, our listeners, uh, for anyone out there um, that might not be familiar. So American and JetBlue created this joint venture uh, in uh, in the Northeast, you know, New York and Philadelphia and Boston. And uh, they that was uh, essentially declared illegal by, um, by a court. Justice Department sued to stop it, and they won the case. So that's now dissipating. So quite a few analysts on the call were asking, were expressing concern about that. You know, is this going to hurt your earnings? Is this going to, uh, you know, is this going to cause trouble strategically? And American kind of brushed it off and they said, no, it's not going to have any material impact, which kind of raises the question, you know, well, why'd you do it in the first place if it doesn't? But I but I think their answer was with, you know, and I think there's some, some you know, things fair. They said that the world has changed since they originally entered that uh, you know, for, formulated that agreement. They said, for example, that uh, they originally, uh, one of the motivations for working with American was to better capture short haul business traffic in the Northeast. They said their slots mm -hmm. at JFK, for example, just weren't very well situated, weren't timed right to capture that. And now they say post pandemic, that's that's kind of not that that a lot of that market's gone. So they're it's they're not chasing that anymore. They're doing oh, more. Yeah, yeah. So they said that they said that they've restructured their costs in New York and that they now have a you know cost per employment advantage at the New York airports. So, you know, that's that's their their situation. Um and, or that's their their argument. And uh, you know, we'll see. Did they say anything about like, you know, what they're going to do as they, you know, no longer have the feed for for some of those new long hauls they added at JFK? Um are they any talk of that or is it still too early to say? Yeah, that topic came up and and what they said was they 
that American wasn't really providing that much feed. They're getting much more from their international partners. So, for example, if you take a route from JFK to, you know, somewhere in Europe, um, and I'm sure London may have different, somewhat of a different profile. They're obviously very heavy in London, but, you know, in New York to uh, trying to think, uh, but whatever, you know, somewhere in your, where they have a partner at the other end, um, those partnerships abroad, those one world partnerships, more important than than JetBlue was. That was that was what they said. So yeah, they'll probably lose some feed, but they don't sound too alarmed by it. Okay. And our I mean, our, not- our uh, peer Ted Reed wrote a good story that that uh, listeners you can read on AW Daily uh, on from Philadelphia interview the CEO of Philadelphia Airport and uh, the CEO there was saying that they definitely could benefit as the NEA unwinds. American has not recovered their pre-pandemic schedule in Philadelphia. They're sort of American's key Northeast and transatlantic hubs. So there's definitely a lot of potential for some aircraft to, to move back there if American so chooses. Yeah, I'm curious what they do in Philadelphia. That happens to be my home airport too. So I watched that a little bit closer than <laughs> than I would otherwise. But but uh, yeah, that's that. you make a good point there. Perhaps Philadelphia benefits as the Northeast uh, kind of, you know, resets after the uh, dissolution of this joint venture. For sure, for sure. Jay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and talk some more about United. And we're back. So as Jay alluded to earlier, uh, I got the chance to listen to United today and Jay to American. So, you know, the story out of United was similarly very good. Jay already gave the margin numbers, uh, but, you know, United really benefited from international, just the robust return of the international market. Uh, Andrew Nisella, their chief commercial officer, was saying uh, that the Pacific, their Pacific entity, and remember United is the largest U.S. airline across the Pacific um, really drove international revenues up more than 40% year over year, uh, followed by Atlantic and then Latin America. And he described the Pacific as, as the most transformative. So it's uh, United is doubling down on their Pacific business. Uh, they just announced new routes. They're going to try LAX Hong Kong again, which uh, I someone pointed out, when did they try it last night? And I'm like, well, I remember when it was still pre-merger United back in the late uh and they they were trying it out. They're going to fly Manila, San Francisco. So it was a good story from United in the second quarter, despite their their troubles at Newark uh, at the end of June. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think they said earlier in the week too when they announced uh, when they did the announcement of those new routes that you uh, you mentioned. They said that Asia Pacific right now, ex mainland China anyway, just as strong as transatlantic. <laughs> that's we know how strong transatlantic is. So that's a really good sign. Um, now, I, some, I think what's happening, too, is is um, you're getting some traffic because of the airspace closure in Russia. You're getting some traffic originating or, or even ending up in, in the east eastern half of the U.S., which would typically fly over Russia to get to Asia. That's, yep. yeah, some of those routes still exist, but you sometimes have, you know, two or three hours of extra flight time because you have to fly around Russia. So I'm thinking that maybe some of that is now going through the West Coast instead, and United can capture that through San, their San Francisco hub or even their LA operation. I don't know. Absolutely, just, United is doing yeah. double dailies out of SFO to most of their major ports. I mean, Tokyo's double daily, Seoul's double daily, Taipei's going to double daily, Hong Kong's double daily. Um, 
yeah, so they're they're definitely flying the capacity there, Transpacific, to capture some of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so probably that Russia, because you don't need to go over to Russia when you're obviously going over the Pacific from California. So probably the Russia thing helps at least San Francisco's, you know, California hubs, San Francisco in particular, and San Francisco needed help because that's been an airport that's uh, suffered a lot from the pandemic. I mean, I think we've all read about some of the economic issues they've had in San Francisco, the out migration. Um, which, you know, maybe exaggerated, I'm not sure, but, uh, but certainly if you look at the airport statistics, when Asia was closed, especially up until very recently, say late 2022, early 23, uh, San Francisco numbers are way down. If you look at the capacity of San Francisco, just, just way down compared to, you know, the average U S hub. So that'll, you know, having Asia back is a, is a big deal for San Francisco airport and by extension for United Absolutely. And I think the one thing, and unfortunately, they didn't talk about this too much on the call is, you know, the restrictions to China. We've, I've, I've written a good amount about, you know, that means United's flying four times weekly, where they used to have, you know, what, eight, nine daily flights, I forget the exact number. But it's also beneficial in the sense that the Chinese airlines are similarly not flying as much as they, they were before. And if you recall, pre-pandemic, you had each, you know, regional Chinese airline wanting global ambitions, they would fly Transpacific because the bilateral, while it's strictly limited uh, flights between quote unquote tier one cities, Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou in the US, if you flew from a tier three city like Wuhan or, uh, you know, uh, Dalian, don't remember if there's a Dalian nonstop, but those aren't restricted. So you all that capacity is still out of the market. And you have to admit, People are, I, I've read, everything indicates that people are flying, traveling out of China, at least, you know, who can get visas and passports and then they want to go and then they're being forced to connect and they're not all flying United, but, you know, they're, they're definitely filling up those Trans-Pacific connecting flights as we see United, Delta um, are back to full capacity to uh, Tokyo for United, Seoul for Delta. Those are their partner hubs. Americans quickly recovering. So, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that that's got to be helping United and one of the reasons that they can devote aircraft to these new routes to other markets since just China's not open. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Now, people are going to mainland China. They're just, they don't have the nonstop. So they're flying via these, yeah, some of United's other routes and uh, to the Pacific. So absolutely. Or they're flying Korean Air or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, no, there, there's no doubt. Now, they I assume they did, an American did not mention anything about the domestic transcon routes or transcontinentals. I'm assuming United didn't say anything about that, did they? No, it did not come up. You know, the, what they said on, on the demand environment is we don't see any change in the Q3 environment. We, we see steady and strong demand. That was, and that sort of globally all around. They did not go into the domestic trends con specifically. Um, yeah. But one area they did talk about domestically that is interesting is, is New York. And, you know, we all know how uh, United had some operational issues in Newark at the end of June and going into July 4th. And they uh, they outlined exactly what they cost. So that cost them about one point of margin in Q2. So you were saying the number is what, 15 or 16%, Jay? For United, 16.8 exactly. It was 16.8. So they would have been 17 over 17 if they'd not had that, the disruptions. And in terms of what they're doing in Newark, they're going to pull flight about 30, 35 departures down out of Newark in August during peak hours. So they were operating about 435. They're going to be in the 390s in August. So we've, we've got a better idea of what United's doing there. And as a, in a change of tune, uh, every executive, including Scott Kirby, just talked about how important partnership is with the FAA and the Port Authority. 
which is definitely a change from the first messaging after the after the meltdown at the end of June when it was like FA is, is uh, at fault here. So it was interesting. Can you imagine how many people would how many Americans would be flying to Europe this summer if we had the capacity and had had adequate uh, you know air traffic control and all that? It's the um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a shame that uh, the um, supply side of the aviation industry can't handle the demand. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, but United's call was good. They're they're moving forward. Um, you know, one interesting thing is is the the capacity issues at airframers are still definitely hitting. Uh, Jay Lederman, United CFO, said they expect only about 110 aircraft in 2024, which it sounds a lot. But you know, to he put that in perspective, his previous forecast for capex capital expenditures was about 11 billion dollars, and now they're expecting about nine billion simply because they're not going to be getting planes as quickly as they expected. So that's, that's American, said, so American be... said exactly the same thing that they're, yeah, they're, they'll be spending less on, on planes this year because they just can't get them. <laughs> Boeing can't, yeah. can't get them in time. Yep. So, so that's, yeah, uh, interesting times. I, I asked well, Jay, about, I just, yeah. oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Ned. I just, if I can squeeze in what I was just going to return Please. to the, uh, I, I brought up the transcon for a reason. I just thought our listeners might be interested in knowing why, why I care so much about the transcon. I just think that's a, that's a route that um, it, it never comes, very rarely comes up in earnings calls, maybe on like an Alaska call, or whatever. But um, for United Delta, American, Alaska, JetBlue, uh, Transcon, that's a lot of ASMs. It's a lot of capacity. They tend to be very high revenue routes. And they're routes that typically in the past had a lot of corporate traffic, a lot of, uh, you know, if you think of San Francisco, LA, LA a lot of IT media traffic, some of these sectors that have been hurting economically. And so I really want to know, you know, are is the is domestic really good except Transcon, or maybe Transcon is just fine, and maybe you know, right now it's fine because you get a lot of tourists on those routes. People go to California beaches or whatever, visiting New York. Um, I don't know, but uh, anyway, keep an eye out, keep keep an ear open for that as uh, as Alaska and JetBlue report. Um, so, and we uh, have, yeah. I believe, uh, Alaska next week. So we will get some details on that uh, on hopefully the next Airline Weekly Lounge. Yep, yep. So that and, uh, of course, there's Florida, which is always a ton of capacity for the LCCs. Pay attention to Florida. Uh, and, yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about as uh, the rest of the industry reports. Definitely. Well, Jay, always a pleasure. Listeners, you can reach myself at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skip.com. Jay, have a good rest of your week. Okay, you too, Ned, and thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.